you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. Studios. Before we get started, we get into some heavy themes in this episode, and there's some strong language ahead. We're just not a priority. We're just not a priority. The amount of people that share needles because they don't have enough money to buy pipes or needles and stuff like that, we don't have that problem here because of them. So, uh, syringes, alcohol pads, Cotton balls, cookers, tourniquets. From LAS Studios, this is How to LA. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. And I'm Evan Jacoby, a producer on the show. One extra will go in that bag. One extra will go in this bag. In August, I went to an encampment under the 405 freeway in Palms with my friend Jesse. A lot of the folks who live here, I've been seeing since I started here four years ago. We have, like, an extended network of mutual aid folks who all contribute in various ways. Mutual aid. It's an old idea, but it's becoming more and more popular in L.A. Basically, it means working together to provide essential resources for people in your community. No strings attached. It's been a huge part of the solution for countless problems, providing resources during the AIDS crisis, immigration support, and during COVID, it became a much more mainstream idea around the world. Some groups using the mutual aid model are official nonprofits. Some are decentralized groups of a few volunteers. In recent years, especially in LA, a lot of mutual aid groups have turned their attention toward unhoused communities, offering everything from bottled water to clean needles to backpacks. Yeah, exactly. There's been a lot of talk recently at the city and county level about future plans for tackling the homelessness crisis. And some of those plans sound promising. But living on the street is often a day-to-day battle of life and death. This place will beat you fucking down, dude. The abuse and the neglect on the homeless people, it's evil out here. The promise of future services can't help somebody if they aren't alive in six months, a year, five years, to receive them. So mutual aid groups often act like a band-aid. They provide what's needed to keep people alive until the city can provide more permanent solutions like housing, treatment, and other services. I've been able to call on them when I haven't been able to call on anyone else. Things like that are priceless. I don't think a lot of people would argue against providing life-saving resources to people. But sometimes those services can get stuck behind bureaucratic red tape. So with the growing awareness, visibility, and reliance on mutual aid, 
we want to take some time to explore some very big questions. First, what do mutual aid groups actually look like in practice? What do they provide for unhoused people? Second, why is mutual aid still necessary in Los Angeles? If it's supposed to be this Band-Aid solution, why is the Band-Aid still on after so many years? And third, I think many Angelinos can relate to this desire to help people in their community. So what kind of things can we do, big and small, to help our unhoused neighbors? Over the next three weeks, we'll attempt to find an answer for each of these questions, starting with understanding what these groups really do. They save lives, and that's a big deal. That's really hard to say in like homeless communities. Here in the city of Los Angeles alone, we have almost 30,000 people experiencing unsheltered homelessness. Even within my district, there is incredible difference between who is experiencing homelessness, how they came to be on the streets, government services. Our goal is actually not to exist in the future by pushing for policy change so that we don't need to exist. Part one, the alternative is death. ones that I have in my car and the ones that Dindy has, we probably have close to like, I want to say nine or 10K, oh, kind of like stocked up now. Yeah. Because Dindy said she's been going to other spots too, so. Do you mind saying 10K what? Uh, syringes. Giving out harm reduction supplies, it's I think become kind of a priority for most of the mutual aid groups. This is my friend, Jesse Goldshear. He introduced me to the idea of harm reduction a few years ago. More on that in just a minute. He's a postdoc researcher at University of California, San Diego, where he studies public health. Honestly, he's one of the most informed people I've ever met in this field, so I often rely on him to introduce me to people or teach me about things I'm unaware of. He also spends a lot of time volunteering in the communities where he does his research. We'll make the kits as big as we can, but some things get reduced, so once we start running low on supplies, we definitely do start In order to answer our main question for this episode, what do mutual aid groups actually do for unhoused communities? We decided to spend a few days with volunteers across Los Angeles. So I can walk you through everything. Yeah, tell me what goes in. Packing up supplies, handing out food and water, basically whatever the volunteers were doing, so we could better understand that experience. We're featuring two mutual aid groups in this episode. In the second half, we'll go to Skid Row with a group of mostly college students. But first, Jesse. Only two left. And a group he volunteers with on Mondays at an encampment in Palms. I don't really know a lot of people doing needles for harm reduction in terms of like the mutual aid groups that we're in contact with. A lot of it's glassware. My name is Sebastian. We're here at Venison Globe. Hi, my name is Dindi, and we're here with Puma, which is uh, Palms Unhoused Mutual Aid. Dindi founded this org called Puma. It's not a registered nonprofit. We have no authorization to do any of this. Not that I think we need it, but we don't have it. None of it's official. We just show up at the same time every week. And at this point, we're there because people generally expect us to be. Jesse, Dindy, and the folks here with Puma are getting ready for their Monday afternoon distribution. On Mondays, we try and do harm reduction primarily, but then now, like, Pat 
and Eve bring the burritos and we have water and other things too. We'll get requests for pepper spray, sewing kits, on top of like food and the other hygiene items we bring. So, harm reduction. It's kind of like this philosophy of lowering the risks associated with substance use. The idea that someone can't seek treatment, can't change their situation if they die from something like hepatitis. Despite some opposition and controversy, it's been around for decades, and research does show that it saves lives in the long run. Jesse, where can I, how can I be helpful? You can help me assemble if you want. So we give everything out in these brown paper bags. Three packs of ten, so 30 syringes. These little sterile water packets that come in, in sets of five. A big handful of alcohol, crepe pads. These are called cookers. They're these little metal kind of dishes. Uh, and we usually put, you know, three or four of these per bag. Cotton balls, uh, tourniquets, and twisty ties. All the supplies in these brown paper bags have a common goal. Limit overall harm. Clean needles and alcohol swabs help people who inject drugs avoid disease. Sterile water and cotton balls help avoid blood clots. You put the, the syringe through the cotton and it acts as a filter. Do you teach them that process no. or do they just kind of... Anybody that we're giving supplies out to knows how to use. It's not... I'm not going to teach someone how to inject drugs, you know. Jesse says their overall goal is to provide the short-term solution of keeping people alive so that hopefully down the road, they're able to receive a more permanent solution in the form of housing. As we were putting together the last of the harm reduction kits, a few people started gathering around Jesse's car. Do you need something? Are you guys having any syringes by any chance? Hey, Jesse? Yeah, what's going on? Are you guys handing out some syringes by any chance? Sure, what do you need? Oh, 20 or 30 gauge. Uh, 30 shorts, right? Yeah. So 5 16 there's 30 in the bag, plus all the accessories. Do you need glassware too? Like a boogie, hammer pipe, that kind of thing? Okay. Those are all, do you need Narcan? No, I do not. Okay. Thank you very much. A typical day, you know, we get here at around 4. We usually make harm reduction kits, unless we already have some made. Uh, Dindy keeps the glassware in storage, bubble pipes and straight pipes. Pat brings the burritos, as you saw. She makes about 100 of them each week. Sebastian brings the carts. We load the carts up with as much as we can, carry the rest of the bags, and then we head out. We turned to the corner and started out under the overpass. I want to say there were about 50 or 60 tents between both sides of the street. There's all these little kind of like walled-off areas where people will set up tarps around the tents to form a little like complex area. So we just kind of weave our way in and out. We chat with people. While we were making our way through the encampment, I asked some of the residents there about the different kinds of support they get from mutual aid groups like Puma and from the government. They call me no-no. I mean, that's a funny question because it, the government, whatever they do for us is their job. It's not personal. Some of them, you can tell it's their calling, it's their mission, and they love what they do. And others are literally doing it to clock out. 
like any other job. So what what is the Puma, like, how is that different for you? Well, the... <laughs> The Puma team, like, I mean, they, they go above and beyond. Like, those are people that I've been able to call on them when I haven't been able to call on anyone else. Nono told me that the morning we met, there'd been a city sweep at the encampment. This kind of thing happens all over the city, where everyone's tents and belongings are cleared out, the sidewalk is hosed down. It could be a huge loss for people, especially if it's a surprise. The city is supposed to post signs beforehand warning people about it, but Nono says this morning, she didn't know. And at like 6.30 something in the morning, I was like, hey Sebastian, sorry to text you so early, but it's cleanup and I don't want to lose my tent again. He immediately texted me back and he reached out to the rest of the Puma team to see who could help me. He came. I mean, to stop what you're doing, go out of your way. Things like that are priceless. If we ever have an overdose, we always have Narcan because of them. And they feed us, not to mention, you could tell the lady makes the burritos with love because they're delicious every time. And they're different every time. Different meats, different sauces. And sometimes she makes brownies. Like, yes, we're appreciative of the harm reduction stuff. But we get excited about the freaking burritos. Jesse and the other volunteers crossed the street to the other side of Venice, and we started making our way through the rest of the encampment. Ready to go? There are more tents on this side today because today's sweep only affected the north side, the part of the street that's officially in the city of Los Angeles. But most of the people who live on this side of the street had already come up to us to get what they needed. That meant we were almost done with distribution. Hey, homie. Cool. I'm going to say thank you for the food and thank you for everything that you guys do for us. Most people at the encampment accepted a glass pipe. About half accepted a bag of needles or a box of Narcan. The burritos were a big hit. Everyone took at least one. Everyone also took as many water bottles as we could give them. Oftentimes we'll bring specific things for people that ask for specific things. So last week you weren't here, but we had a bunch of folks asking for tents. And so we made a list of who needs tents. And then we came back with tents for folks. If people ask for batteries the next week, we'll have a bunch of batteries with us. You know, we've gotten backpacks for people. We've gotten clothing for people. We've helped people get IDs. Jesse's coming out here is coming straight from the heart. You know what I'm saying? It's genuine, you know? Can't put a price on that. This is someone we're going to call Raylan. She asks that we use a pseudonym. Raylan was sitting outside of her tent, just underneath the on-ramp to the freeway. As you can hear, it was very loud. She's sitting in a folding beach chair with a friend who lives in a different encampment. They were talking about how difficult it's been for them to find housing. This is, this is my friend Franklin. He's been out for 15 years. I've been out here for 10 I've been here about housing people for 10 years. Raylan says one of the big reasons she relies on Puma so much is actually because of those cleanups that happen at the encampments. She says it can be hard to hold on to things like a tent, clothes, pots and pans. You know how much stuff over there that people lose when they do that? And they have to come up on all that stuff all over again, dude. You can't even fucking cook because you get shit and it gets taken right away from you. 
you figure they don't want homeless people to succeed out here. I come from a good home and good people. I'm not a piece of shit. I didn't do drugs my whole life. This place will beat you fucking down, dude. The abuse and the neglect on the homeless people, it's evil out here. Unhoused communities are not a monolith. Even just in this one encampment, one side of the street is in Culver City, the other is City of LA. That means differences in access to portable toilets, different schedules and frequencies of street sweeps. Some people were living in tents, others in RVs. The point is, unhoused life can look very different throughout Los Angeles. After the break, Evan and I go out with a different mutual aid group, operating in Skid Row. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish, rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. This is How to LA. I'm Brian De Los Santos. Okay, so you're going to be on Section D with Rosa and Jerry. Evan and I are in a parking lot near USC to meet up with Water Drop LA. It's Sunday, about 11 in the morning, and there's a few dozen people grabbing Costco-sized cases of water, moving them from a U-Haul truck to the center of the parking lot. First-timer, David Alfred. Welcome! We love people who are here for the first time. Thank you so much for volunteering your morning with us. People are checking in and getting ready to distribute water and snacks. My name is Danielle Hazimi. I've been a water drop volunteer for about a year now, and today I am the designated check-in and map person. Like we've said, mutual aid throughout the city can look very different. Compared to Puma, there's a lot of organization going on here. That's in part because Skid Row is a lot bigger. It spans four square miles with thousands of unhoused people living there. There's various mutual aid groups of different sizes providing all sorts of resources, from harm reduction to food to socks. The water drop folk try to hit the entire neighborhood. We basically break down the neighborhood into different sections, which I have a map over here to show you. We'll assign one car to each section, and then we'll have two to three folks with them in the car. Each person or each 10, if no one is home, um, will get two gallons of water. That's kind of our standard to ensure fairness among everyone. And then we also hand out snacks and um, liquid IV, things like that. After Evan and I check in, we join the rotation in front of the U-Haul. File up, grab a case of water, 
Move it to the pile in the center of the parking lot and repeat. They usually have eight pallets of water in the U-Haul, but since it's the first day of a late autumn heat wave, they've got one extra. That translates to just under 2,500 gallons of bottled water. While we wait for our turn, we asked some volunteers, what brought you out here today? When they pointed out that this weekend was suddenly this heat wave, making this all the more critical, I said, today is the day to jump in, so stop wasting time, get out there and do it. My name is David Albrecht. I am here at Waterdrop LA for the first time. I've seen them on Instagram for a while, and I'm really impressed to see so many people. I guess I've been a little slow to get caught up. Pardon me, I have to lift. It's like, in the kindest way, it's like watching ants. Yeah. <laughs> We've been doing this for three years, so over 170 weeks straight, which is why it does tend to work pretty, pretty easily now. This is Arya Catano, one of the co-founders of Waterdrop LA. She says they grew out of another group that provided food when one day they realized they didn't have water to give out with it. I started calling the missions and other organizations that are operating in Skid Row to see if they had any plan for providing water, especially during COVID, and they didn't. We realized that it was a huge gap in services. A lot of people didn't realize that unsheltered people in L.A. don't have access to water. And we realized that it was something that we could raise energy around to actually, you know, get a temporary solution and maybe a long-term solution and to fix. Water access in L.A.'s unhoused communities is a big problem. A study published this year in the International Journal for Equity and Health found that about 30% of Skid Row residents had limited daytime access to drinking water, and that number jumps to nearly 70% at night. We've seen this attitude at times of, you know, they already have a couple options for water, so why add more? Part of why we continue to exist is because we don't want to accept that as an answer. Thank you. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces and a lot of new ones as well. By now, all the water is loaded up and Arya's addressing the crowd. One thing to keep in mind when doing this is to just stay very present of your body and the space. Uh, You are entering other people's homes. The line between private and public is a lot more fuzzy in places like Skid Row where people are unsheltered. And so just try to be very cognizant of how you're entering the space. You know, try not to step on people's tarps, on their property. Don't poke your head into someone's tent to say hi, even if it's volunteer. After a group Narcan training, Evan and I meet up with our assigned team leader, Share, and head out to the northeast corner of Skid Row. Hi, I'm Shade Kamen. I'm actually a macro social worker, so like I do like org stuff. But in terms of research, I've focused on like water delivery and like ethics in urban poverty. Shade is here as a volunteer today, but her work work and her volunteer work have a lot of overlap. She's taking us on our typical loop through the area, starting down Fifth Street, where she'll introduce us to some of the people she's worked with over the years. Almost immediately, we pass an open fire hydrant. People crack them and then they'll drink this water that comes out and sprays out. It is technically potable water, so they like can drink it, um, but we don't recommend it. But it's pretty common to see a fire hydrant like that? Yeah, yeah, all the time. Good morning. A little further down the block, we come up to a small grouping of tents. <laughs> what happened to your cat? No, he brought me down to the bed. Sade seems to know everyone here by name, and everyone seems excited to see her. His name is Tom. 
I think Skid Row gets a reputation for being completely chaotic and disorderly. But watching Sade and the people here interact, it was like watching any other community. A couple people playing chess outside their tent, people giving each other bus directions. One guy asked if I could interview his pet birds. How you guys are doing? You guys enjoying the day? Oh, yeah. Shelling wings are wings, I say. You guys are going to be the world's most famous birds. While Sade is looking for one of her regulars, a man named Dwight, one of the water drop cars pulls up. Thank you. You want to the social? You and one of the person? Well, yeah, and I got two dogs, too. Okay. And also, there's two guys here. They're giving two gallons of bottled water to each person. I love it. It don't last, though, so I hit the hydrant, you know, and that supplies me where I need. Mm-hmm. Where do you get most of your water? From the hydrant. And that's not, I know that's not too cool, you know, bring the pressure down. If it be a fire, you don't mind having enough pressure to put the fire out. But that's one of the things uh, we have to sacrifice <laughs> to live, survive. My name is Dwight Joseph Banks. My new water's in Louisiana. Came this way by the way of Katrina. I was a plumber, had my own business. And it folded up on me because I had flood insurance. I tell people when they come here, I say, look, don't get comfortable with this. Because you get comfortable with this, you get stuck out here. You know, you be stuck like in Twilight Zone. Dwight says in the seven years he's been here, the city has slowly started to offer more services. I guess the city's doing the best they can. You know, with the funds they have. There's a fresh stop right down there. 24 hours, you could use the bathroom or take a shower. And they have other services there. You can get vouchers, ID. That's where I'm going now. We will be talking more about the services the city provides in episode two. But for now, we wanted to know if it was important to Dwight that it was the volunteers, the mutual aid folks, who were stepping up to fill in the gaps. Yes, it is. Very important to me, you know. I would like to participate myself, you know. As soon as I get myself together, I like to put more of my time into volunteering. Mm-hmm. I ain't got much time left on you. I'm 63 years old. <laughs> and another 40 years. Hey, I like you. <laughs> my dad's 63, so... Bless his heart. We say bye to Dwight and continue with Sade on our loop. My name is Hawk. I live in Skid Row. I work in Skid Row. I help people in Skid Row. So Hawks, a U.S. veteran, has been unhoused for like 20-something years. Usually, when you come into a community, if you want to know what's going on in that community, you can stop at a barbershop. They'll tell you everything. Hawk operates his one-man barbershop right here, outside of his tent. When they look good, I look good. And that's why water is so important to me, is I have to keep everything clean. And every foundation that comes down here and contributes is a blessing. But Hawk says as much as he appreciates it, it isn't enough. He showed us how he supplements his supply from a nearby fire hydrant. So, this is my key right here, old utility key, that usually come off a utility truck. You take and turn it on, and if you bump it up, I get you a little wet. 
and it's, it's best I use something clear I can see in. You can see there's just particles and stuff in there. And you take the key out because you walk away from here and they'll come right by and steal it. It's actually um, drinkable, but I, I very rarely do. If I do, I boil it. If I run out of water, this is it. I'm not going thirsty. Them bringing out water, it assists us in a way that you just can't explain. You need water for everything. Guys come through with a little bit of everything here. We get to see them eye to eye, look at them, talk to them. Some of them go in their own pockets. Whether we're important to other people or not, those people come down here on their own. After we say goodbye to Hawk, we catch up with the rest of the water drop volunteers. Most of them are finished distributing their share of water and snacks. We asked some of them, why is mutual aid important to you? Just last year, unhoused folks were five of 12 heat-related deaths in LA. Unless everyone's gonna get housed in the next two weeks, you need to have the resources for people. My name is Jordi Coutine. Uh, I'm a volunteer with Water Drop LA, been volunteering for two and change years. One of the things that I really like about Water Drop is unlike a lot of other organizations that provide services, our goal is actually not to exist in the future by pushing for policy change so that we don't need to exist. The ideal would be folks can get what they need without us being here. But I mean, as long as we've got funding, volunteers and water, we'll be there till then. We also saw David again, the first timer we met back in the parking lot. I've lived in LA for 40 years now, and when I got here, Skid Row is here, and Skid Row is still here. It doesn't matter who the mayor is, who the city council is, it comes down to people like this group of 30, 40 people going out and actually talking to people. You know, let me get this for her dog, let me get that for the person who lives up there. I mean, people were genuinely looking out for each other, so it was a really good day. I'll definitely be back. And this is Arya again, Water Drop LA's co-founder. I think the reason why we continue to do this is because we just we don't want to accept the current status quo. We want more for our communities. We know so many people in Skid Row so intimately because we've known them for three years and we care about them. And a lot of our volunteers here have been coming back week after week and have started to develop relationships as well. And so I think for us, a lot of it is personal. It's like you wouldn't want your friend to be outside in the cold, not drinking water, um, or in the hot, not drinking water, etc. So that's the answer we came up with for our first question. Mutual aid groups are made up of volunteers trying to provide whatever is needed most. They try to cover gaps in available resources within unhoused communities. Some of them are big, some are small, some focus on food and water, some focus on hygiene and harm reduction. But one of the things that stood out for me was when the water drop people said their ultimate goal is to not need to exist. They try to find a band-aid for the symptoms that the people have. Next Tuesday... Her association can only do so much, and other associations like hers can only do so much. But the people that can really do it, don't. We move on to the next question in our series. Each district operates in many ways as its own fiefdom. We can get meetings with like all the other offices and not Kevin DeLeon's, which I think is a big holdup. Why is mutual aid still necessary in Los Angeles? 
If it's supposed to be a band-aid solution, when can we expect to take this band-aid off? Well, it is, you know, I think it's a real indictment of the city. That's in episode two, The Forever Band-Aid. Hot Ole is hosted by me, Brian De Los Santos. Our series on mutual aid is produced by Evan Jacoby, with editorial support from Antonia Cerejido. Our other team members include Victoria Alejandro, Megan Botel, Monica Bushman, and Erica Washington. Our intern is Tony Morales. Production support from Jens Campbell. Our executive producer is Megan Larson, and the vice president of Alea Studios is Sheena Naomi Krokmal. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.